Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Conversation the Naked Leadership podcast. My name is Chad. This is our second installment in a series that we are doing called The Life Cycle of a Team Member. In this conversation, we talk about onboarding for success. How do we bring on that new employee, that new recruit that we have found they're, they're right for the job, they're the perfect fit for the job. Now we need to bring them and integrate them into the team and the culture and provide the resources for them that's going to give them the highest probability for success. And I think it's so crucial and often neglected by leaders and companies and organizations. Enjoy the conversation. Before we jump in, I want to mention, we have a couple of tools online for you. If you're a frustrated founder, go to frustratedfounder.com. In five days, Adrian takes you through a process that will allow you to kill that frustration and connect with your team again. So go to frustratedfounder.com right now and kill that frustration and connect with your team. Now let's get into the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to the conversation. My name is Chad. I'm here with Adrian Kaler and Dan Zucchini. How are you, gentlemen? Hey, doing good. Excellent. Thanks. Good to be here. Fantastic. So this is the second episode to this series that we've started, the life cycle of an employee or the life cycle of, I'm still perfecting the name, but uh, (laughs) yeah, the life cycle of, of of an employee. This is our second episode. Last week we talked about um, recruiting and we had a really good conversation. I got a ton out of the conversation about how do we start to think differently about the recruiting process? How do we start to see the people and how they will actually integrate into the culture that we've worked so hard to create in our, in our businesses and our structure? How will we bring them on in a way that they'll add to our teams now that you've taken the time to really be intentional about the recruiting process and the hiring process, you've gone slow. We talked about slowing down to speed up. And this is one place you really want to slow down to speed up is in that recruiting process. So you've done that and you've got the right person coming on board to add to your team, to take you from where you are to where you envision the company and your team being in the future with this person. So we left off talking about what it looks like to commit to this person as they come onto the team and into the company. Because I see so many times, I see, you know, I talk to my own clients who are bringing on new hires, or I've been in situations where I've been a new hire uh, or consulted with a team where they're bringing on a new hire. And it's a lot of times it's this attitude of, yeah, we just hired somebody. We'll see. Like, we'll see if they show up. We'll see if they're the right fit, you know, that sort of, and, and to me, what that, what that resembles is this idea of playing not to lose rather than playing to win. Like we'll, we'll see if we can make them fit. We'll see if we can make them work. (laughs) So I wanted to continue. I wanted to start this episode, continuing the conversation about what it means to commit to those who we have brought on to the team. Like what, what kind of ways can we work to show that person that they're here for the vision? They're here for the long haul. They're here to make the team and the company better. 
I just want to open that up for discussion. Yeah. No, no specific question at this point, but just start talking about what does that mean? Well, the first thing that comes to mind, even as you're recapping the conversation we had last week around, you know, interviewing and vetting and recruiting and all that process, it made me wonder how much people wonder about their purpose or how they're showing up in the conversation with potential with potential hires. Um, and I, I know part of the, my experience is that part of people are frustrated. They're frustrated uh, once people once people are on, and usually it's because they didn't push hard enough or weren't honest enough in the vetting process. There were things that they just did shortcuts to, um, and they weren't willing to like really have a lot of tension baked into that process that would have been revelatory about your themselves as an employer and the potential person as an employee. Like they didn't want it to be uncomfortable. So they kept it all surfacey and kept it about the history instead of about future. Um, and they paid the price later. Um, I'm thinking, so that made me wonder that. And then as people come on, I th think the natural tendency, because I think it's a human tendency, is to have a very transactional nature between employee and employer. Like, okay, now I'm paying you and giving you benefits and giving you access and giving you all these things I'm giving you. I'm here's what I'm giving you. Now here's what you're giving me. And there's this transactional nature between it. So, okay, Hey, now I gave you the job. Now go do the job. And that is natural. Um, but I think that's a very different type of context for the relationship than what's possible for sure. Cause if you ask like, how committed are you to an employee? Well, commitment isn't transaction uh, on some, I mean, there's some level that I'm committing, you know, company dollars and, company reputation and I'm bringing you into something we're doing, that is some level of commitment. But um, if it's based on a transaction, then there's, then there's a quid pro quo that's baked in, but it's different than I'm committed to you as a person and, and I'm going to actually leverage uh, and give you more than even before you've performed to earn it. So that, those are my first thoughts around if it is really a generous exchange between parties because that's what you want right you want them to go you want your new employee to surprise you in great ways you want them to go beyond the call of duty um and you want you know you want them to really impress you and surprise you in good ways but how often does an employer say okay hold on how what do they need from me to really set them up to play ball at that level yeah. you know, has that been a conversation you know, and are there ways, especially in today's we're busy type culture of, you know, doing just as much as you need to do to get by to check the box? Yeah. Mm -hmm. The in that conversation about. Thinking about how to stand with this person and what it takes to have starts way before you meet the person. It, and we didn't talk, I don't think about this last week, but. In thinking about that position, I not only do I understand what the accomplishments of that position are, what the deliverables are, but I'm also intimate with the kinds of um, behavioral preferences, what people prefer to do that will make them successful there, right? Like knowing if they're, you know, if it's a communications position, how important listening is and uh, a balance between being candid and diplom diplomatic, understanding what kind of, like if they're going to be managing people, how well do they enforce uh, necessary rules and regulations? And are they do, are they able to do that? You know, like 
in a way that's empathetic, not punitive. Like they are connected to the process and the person in the process in a way that they can bring correction in a way that could be like, it's a way of learning versus trying to, I'm there to get you to do something, right? It's like having that, you have to have a real sense of what is both the competency level and the characteristics that are gonna most line up with that. Cause somebody could be very qualified for the position but not have the, they may not like, may not prefer to engage into personally. Like if, you know, if you have an HR person who would rather work alone and doesn't want to work with people and doesn't like engaging with people, well, that's not going to, no matter how qualified they are, they're not going to, they're not going to enjoy the job. It's going to be a lot of resistance and, and like yeah. that. So the idea is to, so before you even onboard them, and even when you're interviewing them, you're, because once you say go, and, and, you know, you might have a, a 90 day, 60 day probation period, which is, which is, you know, the probation period is just a structure. It depends on how it's used, you know, whether it's going to work or not. And they, the structure is really, if you're all in with them, then you're, you're the one, if they succeed, you succeed, right? It's like, my job is to have, to stand with you in a way that you succeed at the end of this 60 or 90 days, you know, what are, here's what we have. And you got to be very clear about the outcomes. So you're clear about what the, when you hire them about the competencies, clear about the kind of characteristics or behavioral preferences that will really make the job hum, and then be really clear about what the outcomes are at the end of, you know, in that position and in the next 60 days, if you're going to give them a probation period, so that you together can work and it's in their lap to get it done, but you're a resource and you, and you, you know, you make clear what kind of resource you are. And particularly, I think there's a cultural mandate in here which is if, you know, I found <clears throat> the biggest thing is people don't want to fail, but in order to succeed, they got to be good at failing and they got to fail often and they got to fail quickly. And a lot of times <clears throat> people don't want to come back and they want to bring something back to a new boss or a new manager or somebody you know, I'm reporting to and say, you know, I just I, I messed this up, you know, or it didn't work out and I've got this much time left and they can engage in the learning process to get that done. You know, that's the kind of, relationship that I'm always listening for is what kind of relationship to failure do they have? What kind of relationship do they have? You know, I, you know, two things, their willingness to be connected to what's really going on and their willingness to control their ego, right? Because, mm -hmm. you know, to learn requires, I know for me, it's, it, it's, I've begun to enjoy it over the years, but, but, you know, it, it's that the ego goes, Oh, Oh, I should have known that. I, Cause right. I'm thinking I should know everything. But, you know, realizing that none of us know everything and that uh, we need each other's eyes on the problem and on each other to support and learning what's there, getting that kind of mindset in is that's a big part of onboarding somebody in a way that they get what's expected of them and what they can count on from the organization to fulfill that, right? To give them the best kind of orientation you can in that process and to understand where the boundaries of acceptable are, right? And what, you know, like there's some there's some things to be done in there. It's an orientation, really, when you talk about onboarding somebody, and that begins before you really even meet them. I liked your answer a whole lot better than mine. <laughs> it's like you covered the first stuff. I'm like, okay, here's some other stuff. <laughs> I love you. I love that you brought up probation period because I, I, for me, I think probation periods are typically looked at like, okay, we're gonna throw you to the wolves, we're gonna throw you to the lions, yeah. whatever it is, and we'll see how you fare. It can show up like a prove it period versus, hey, one way to frame it is, look, you know, 
we have a, an interview. We see your, we really get your competent. Now we got to see if we can be married, right? And right. we need to date for a while and we're committed to this marriage. We wouldn't right. say we're going. And so let's go next. Because they may not want to be there after 60 or 90 days themselves, which has got to be part of the process, right? They're feeling, we're feeling each other out. We need to be open and honest about that. And and that you, you once you get your hands in the job, you know, we work together, we get a, A, do you dig the job? Is it working for you? Mm-hmm. What needed to make it more effective? B, what's working for you and not working for you in our relationship? Yeah. Right? Yeah. How can we tune that? Like there's, there's a lot of, and so if there's not a candid, open relationship, like I can be absolutely candid, so can you. I'm going to be open to what you say because we're both about having this turn out, whatever it is, whatever that clear goal is. Right. And another another thing that comes up for me is like, if, if the probation period looks like, Hey, we're going to throw you the wolves. You're alone. You got to prove yourself. Let's see how this goes sort of thing. There, there is, um, there's little room for success there. There's little room to find out how they integrate into the culture. You're, you know, it's a, it's possibly, I'm going to see how they work as an Island. Yep. Without the resources that they, I mean, I'm not saying that people aren't giving them the resources that they need, but, but that is, I think, where a lot of new hires and, and um, personnel go to when it's in the probation period of like, I got to, I got to prove myself here, whether it's the way I would normally operate in this team and environment and culture or not. And then they're going to constantly be checking themselves against whether or not you like them rather than whether or not they're doing the job they were hired to do in the culture that they, that they were brought on to be in. Yeah. That's why the orientation is so important. It's more, it's not just what you tell them, but how you're with them. Right. And that whoever's with them and how, and how the organization is tuned up to receive new people because you know they're going to be they're going to coming in and they're going. To, the idea is, of course, you want if they're clear about what they're to accomplish and they're clear about how to access the organization. That breaks down the whole, and and then we're clear about how long they get to be new, right? Um, like you know, you only get to be new so long, so get oriented, right? Yeah. That's not like it's kind of. I guess what we're saying is, help identify the obstacles, both interpersonal and cultural, that they may run into, and and let you know kind of prepare them for the benefit of the struggle because you know we're bringing something into being and the game is say commit to something get it done and and then develop the kind of relationship and expertise around what it's going to take to get do that so that the obstacles don't stop you right how do you get that relationship in place so that they can see themselves as the causal agent, but also as the designer of their own, what they're up to and how they can utilize the organization to get it done, right? Like I I have found so often that when we go and work with teams, a lot of times somebody comes on, they think it's, they don't want to ask for help. Mm -hmm. And, and if the, if you're not clear about what the job is, then you won't know how to ask for help. If you're clear about the job, you're probably going to get in touch with the obstacles between you and there and getting it done. And then you got to get, then you ask, how do we get around those obstacles or how do we use, how do we find the possibilities in those obstacles to forward the commitment, right? That, that I, whatever my goal is, right? So that's always, 
getting that relationship in place, I think, is the more explicit, um, which requires me as a, if I'm hiring them, to be aware of my own, like the things that get in my way and and what the organization is like and how I can stand them up, I stand up with them so they can utilize it. And then I've got to be able to champion them, which is to be aware of how their goals are, what are their personal goals, how do they connect to what they're doing, you know, like the bigger goals, really make sure those connections are clear and then how to stand with them to have, once they connect with that, their personal goals are going to be served by hitting the bigger goal. Then we've got a whole different animal, right? And I don't know how much people spend, I know as an employer, we're always concerned about what we want to get done. And we don't often make the connection that what we want to get done is deeply connected to how that benefits the workers, the people that are on the team. And they've got to make that connection or they're not going to want to play as hard as we would want them to play. Hmm. Right? That goes in the category of we don't know how good it can get. Yeah. And that they're, you know, and that it's worth working through difficult situations because we're hiring you to solve problems. And you got to dig why you're solving problems and see how it benefits, how benefiting the organization, having that turnout is going to benefit you. Mm. And if those, if those, those are probably, you know, in the orientation that those are big deals. And that's something that takes some informal, formal and informal conversation. Yeah. I'm just thinking about what part of what's necessary uh, for that type of dialogue to work is, you know, a culture being willing to learn about itself or a leader being willing to learn, you know, cause I'm going to, cause what you're saying is, which I dig. And, and I think most people listening to this are going to think, wow, okay, that sounds really clear. That sounds really uh, like admirable. Um, you, so, but why isn't that happening is always the question. You know, when we hear something that's a good idea, it's like, why isn't this already occurring? Right. So what's competing with that? Yeah, and I think what what's competing with that is usually pace, time. I don't have time. I how many times have we heard this, guys? Like I don't have time to have these types of conversations, as if they take five hours. Because um, usually, usually the, a, a potent conversation can really happen in five to ten minutes, or at least can you can lay the seeds for the conversation. You can have this. You can have a conversation over, over many days. And yeah. The conversation is already there. You're just kind of putting language to it, and it it's having it's happening. Um, but the the time objection, I'm assuming some people are thinking about how long they think that would take. Let's just say it doesn't take too long. But the other part of it is the ego challenge, um, and our how if we bring somebody in and have this type of relationship with them, saying, "Hey, why well, we want you to be committed to these outcomes, and then committed to learning, and committed actually to failing in the process." You know, to, to actually be a virtuous partner in that, in some ways we're pledging to say, hey, we are going to need to know how to support you. Part of that process will be us being revealed to ourselves that as a culture, we're not doing this very well. And mm. there are going to be a lot of blind spots, essentially, is what I'm saying. Yeah, we, we need each other. We need each other. And the higher, the more talented person you hire, the more, the the worse the feedback will be. Yeah, well, the more. We think it's bad because we like to think of ourselves as, you know, I like to think I'm there. I've arrived. Right. Yes. Points out and shows it's not. And, and you know, the thing is, like I said, I don't think any of us are good at everything. Mm. Not, nobody I know. And so 
when you hire somebody, they're probably going to be better at what they do than you would be a better at them, what you would do with them. But your job is to support them in becoming the best they can be, right? Yeah. And so I think where it gets derailed is the, the when you talk about the ego is is either I don't want to be really transparent about where I am, about what you're up to and what I think about it, or and or I'm not going to be open to what you have to say back to me. It's got to be both, right? Right. And if that loop, transparency, open loop, gets fouled, is not off, you know the more it's off center, the longer it takes to really get to the truth. Yeah. You know what's really true, right? And I think it, you know, once you have really clear goals, I think the resistance to clear goals is that then you start to see what the obstacles look like much clearer. Sure. Right. And then, then I got to be honest about, do I think I can do that? And if I, like, how do I, and if I hit up against, I don't know if I can do that, that's okay. How do I get through that? What, you know, do I, now do I let them know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what do I need to know? It's like, but that's exactly what it's required. Well, what do I need to know so I can get this? Or what, what do I think is wanted, needed, and I can bring it back? And, and there's some interesting things that chunk down in here because, People, we tend to look at the problem and we don't stay in the problem long enough to truly understand it. So we get the solution too quickly. And before, you you know, it's like being able to break down a breakdown is really crucial in helping somebody organize themselves and resource the organization. And that is being able to stay in the problem because what the tendency is let's get on the solution really quick. That's where we say slow down to speed up. It's no, let's slow down and really understand the problem because the problem is not the cause of the problem. The problem is probably the symptom and we need to understand the symptom so we can get back to and understand deeply the problem itself, what's causing it. Because that's, if we move on that, we'll be effective. We're more effective than working hard, right? Otherwise we're gonna be out here whacking moles. Right? <laughs> <laughs> All the symptoms. But yeah. I love I love the way uh, what I'm hearing you both say, and I love this frame about this probation period kind of idea, is that instead of the probation period being a, hey, let's see how you do, we can reframe that to say, hey, let's see how we do. Yeah, we and, do. And, and we can learn about each other and working with each other and what we, you know, and then let's look up at the end of 60 days and go, what do you think? Are we married? Yeah. Well, what an opportunity for us to learn about our culture. Yeah. What what a better way to learn about our culture than somebody coming in new that it hasn't experienced it day in and day out, that hasn't seen how Tom shows up or how Sally shows up before until now. Right. What a what an what a gift to us as leaders. I'll never forget. I had a guy I I started as a sales manager at this it's this uh, paving company and I was there to help turn it around. And I was hiring my staff and I hired this young guy and I brought him into the, I, I was the general manager, brought him into the owner and we sat down and talked and this guy talked a little slow, but I've seen him work before. I know he's a great sales guy. And when I left, he goes, that guy can't work here. And I go, why is that? He says, cause he talks slow. I said, well, Okay, well, what if he's saying really good things slowly? <laughs> and, and he said, I remember we talked back and forth. I remember saying, I really believe the guy. That's why I asked him to come down. I spent a lot of time with him. I said, 
well, let me let me put myself at stake. I, I'll take this guy. I, he's mine. I mean, I asked you to hire him, and if you have any problems, you work. You know, let me know. So the first couple of months was kind of tough because this guy was looking for problems. But and and at one point, I'd go in his office and go, "Would you stop already?" Because you know, I said, "You know, here's what I see you doing, and it's it's really affecting him. He's a young guy. You got a lot of power. You're the owner." And so he backed off. This guy stayed there seven years, was his top sales guy after seven years. But I remember spending the first year with him. First four months, the poor guy, a couple of times in tears. Like, what did I do to this guy? Like, he actually picked it up. We had to sit down, you know, you know, you know what we do, and, and have a conversation, couch time, and, uh, <laughs> and just kind of like get it out, vet it out. And then they became, he, he clicked in, man. He rolled. He did really well. But that's an example of onboarding. I, I, cause I, I felt for the guy. I, he, we were, I was failing in my onboarding of him and I could see it. And he came to me to say, hey, what's, what's going on? I thought we we're going to work together and this is happening. And then I realized, well, I got to go back in there and, you know, take a stand and put some, some uh, cover around this guy so we can get up and go like a seed, right? Let him get up. And, go. and then he ended up taking over the sales department. Now he's a, a consultant in that field and he does great, but, but, those are the things like onboarding sometimes requires that willingness to stand up for him. And he was on a probation period, but it was like, for me, I told him, look, man, we live the 90 days. Like it's the end of your life. We, you know, that, otherwise what's worth, why get out of bed and come to work? I mean, really, how often do we really think about our work? Like a possibility for meaningful engagement and productivity. Mm -hmm. Like, like that, like, I often look at my, I can look at my work as just a utilitarian thing to get my way of life, or I can look at it as a huge opportunity to make a difference and contribute who I am to somebody else. And, and that's how I think we build big networks and networks so that you can count on, right? So the onboarding process really for me is championing all the way. And then if it doesn't work, we both lost and we both learn. Yeah. A brag on Adrian for just one second, if I can. We in our on our team in January, I think it was January. Uh, we brought on Bethany, who is our client experience coordinator, and she's awesome. But she was new, and she was here to prove herself, and she did from day one. And she was taking on we, you know, she was taking on all of these things. And, uh, and, and she was honest about them if she had done them before or not, but yet she was still willing to step up to plate and, and go after him. And there was some piece of software or something that she had said, I'll take that on and came back, uh, in our team Slack a couple days later and said, I'm so embarrassed to, to say this, but I can't figure out how to make this piece of software work. Or I, I don't I don't understand, and it's taking me a long time to figure out this complex piece of software. And Adrian, your your re reply to her was so impactful for me because me as somebody who had already been integrated into the culture at that point for almost a year now, nine months, um, you said, "Hey, asking for help is celebrated here." Yeah. And I remember that, that conversation when he said that. And that taught me more about our culture, not more, but that taught me so much about our culture as a team and a group uh, and the goal that we were after, not only this meaningful work that we're doing, but to invest in each other. And so I'm just saying, like, what an opportunity for your team that even has is seasoned, that has been there for a while to learn more about the culture uh, and, and what you're about 
than bringing on somebody new and, and showing them the ropes. Hmm. I remember that. I remember that well. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I think part of a little, little bit behind the scenes, you know, for me is, you know, I'm a guy, most of the suffering in my life is because I'm waiting to ask for help. Kind of it. I mean, really, I mean, most of the things that are dogging me at night, it's because I'm still waiting, still holding on until I actually cry mercy and say, hey, let me reach out to somebody. There's somebody else that knows how to do this. There's somebody else that knows how to teach me. There's somebody else that would do it better than I do. You know, and I, I, a lot of things I hold on at, at most of the stuff that bothers me. So when I when I saw that, I mean, with Bethany, I loved her willingness to say it. And I, I knew there that, I mean, I needed, I needed to hear that as well as anybody else. You know, she was leading me in that moment is what I'm saying. Yeah, she was courageous, man. Yeah. It's great, straightforward. Yeah. Yeah, well, in the... And there's a there's a th- the theme about you know, as if you do this well, if you do the onboarding well, you, you, you're going to actually, lo- you know, enliven um, the, the new employee. Right. That's what you want. Right. It's, it's, if you're talking about, Dan, like the work as a place to really to find, to generate, to express yourself and find meaning and contribution and productivity. You know, yeah. like, what if work was that instead of you know, some utilitarian thing. Well, if if you hold op- open work as that type of opportunity, then people are going to come alive because that's, I think, that's soul type language, right? Holy shit. That's like humanity 101. I can really fully be myself here. Number one, I'm accepted, but I'm actually, this this thing is an, is an, is an invitation for personal evolution. Holy cow. Why and, 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 and your engagement here, might bring you to realize that this isn't the place and maybe somewhere else, but at least being here helped you get right. clear about where you do want to go, what you do want to do. Right? Yeah. Well, my, and but that, but I think that that's hard to do because you got to be really straightforward up front. Mm-hmm. That's what, I mean, I mean, some of the conversations we've had, you, you know, Adrian, we've been told before, well, we guys are intense, right? Yeah. We're, yeah. we're hard on the problem, but you know, soft on the person ideally. And, yeah. And and, we're not, and we've learned through experience that staying you know on the problem till we can like solve it, like right. drive the result. That's I think that's probably if, if as a consultant I know for me driving something to the result is everything. So when you're getting that into, I would want to get that into every anybody I onboarded. That look, we get a kick out of seeing things happen. We said they're going to happen. Yeah, we know we're going to fail and learn from it, and we're looking forward to the relationship that's necessary to be generated to get there. Right, right. Because there's, you can't get there without that relate without a a very specific kind of relationship where it spawns that kind of wanting to get involved, that kind of leadership. It it, it brings it up. It, it causes it. Yeah. Well, we're you know we're always onboarding clients, which is not too different than this, right? And I was on on a call with a potential client today. And, you know, we were at the, like the decision point of the conversation. And I just, you know, I was going to be really loose handed with this guy. I decided I was going to loose handed. Hey, here's here's some options you're going to get to choose. Um, but then I, I let him speak his way into it because then I asked him, I said, well, it's because okay, he had talked for a little while about what he thought he wanted to do. And I said, well, how long do you think it would take you to do those things? There's some quote, some quote unquote low hanging fruit yeah. in his own mind, low hanging fruit, things he knows he need to get done. 
And I said, great. Well, if you throw yourself at it, how long do you think it'll take you to do that? And then I waited. And then he went on to answer a very different question than my question. He went on long about all the things he needed to do and da, da, da. And a well-rehearsed tape about how complex the next season of life would be. And I said, okay, well, you're answering a question, not my question. What was my question? I don't remember. Okay. So the question is, how long would it take you to do it? That's awesome when somebody just goes, I don't remember. I don't know. You know? And awesome. Well, and, and, and we ended up having a conversation saying, hey, if you, you, I want you to notice where you go instead of towards results. Because I know that if you, if we do some work together, the results will get done much quicker than what they're going to get done without some kind of presence in your life, some kind of coaching presence, some accounting presence, and to help you see what's going on for yourself. Another set of eyes. Another set of eyes, right? To advocate for him because this guy's brilliant and amazing and sitting on gold, you know, and I really believe in him and want him to do it, but I can't do the work for him. But that's a, my point is that's, that's, there's an orientation that's already happening. Yeah. In that conversation, like, hey, I'm going to stand by the principle that I think, and I could be wrong, that I think is really going to serve you getting from point A to point B. Yeah, no, I just want to, you, A, you heard the distinction. I mean, yeah. I, how many times I've sat with a client and I've seen myself miss questions and like that, like I'll ask a question, they'll answer a different question. And then first you got to see that because that's an orientation. You're orienting them to the, how they need to listen. The second thing is then to say something about it. Yeah. Like, you know, what's really bad is if I notice you don't answer the question and then I don't say anything about it. Right. And then wonder why later on you don't listen. Yeah. Or I say you don't listen, but you're listening. You're just listening to something I'm not saying. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But I mean, to, my point there is it takes experience and coaching to pick that kind of thing off. And that's sure. the value of having a coach, but it's also the value of if you're going to get into an orientation process, get experienced about what you're listening for, right? Because yeah. you're orienting the way they're relating to you. You're orienting the way they're listening. Yeah. For what you want, right? Like you want you want to really have a conversation. If I didn't really want to have a conversation, I wouldn't even notice that they missed the question. Yeah. Which you had to get clear about that coming in. Yeah. yeah. Well, you were for certain kinds of conversations. Is my point. Yeah. Well, and, you know, it, it happened elsewhere today, too, with a, with a, another client. I'm just bringing this up to illuminate some of the points here where, I'd, where she had just recently filled out a feedback form and talking about how she wanted some more structure in the conversations. And so that's where I started out the conversation. So it sounds like, well, I, I and this is this would be like management framework for those listening to how to orient and how to main how to essentially reinvent a relationship along the way, because that's the point in orientation is if there's a preset, this is what it's going to be like to play ball here. And then you're going to get some results or you're not going to get some results. And then as the manager or as the leader, as the, the hirer, the employer, the brave, well, if you're brave, you'll ask yourself the question. I wonder what was missing for me that this is not going so well for them. Yeah, right. You know, and we, you want the feedback. You want the lack of results as feedback, wondering what else could be happening for us. Because if it's it, it's easy to see in a new employee for somebody, I mean, the opportunity is the feedback from the new employee. If I took that lens and then looked everywhere around the organization, where else might this something that's missing for us as an employer 
be hindering others. They just got used to it. They just said, this is how we do things around here, or this is how the boss is, or that's how she is, or that's how he is, or this is what that group is like, or this is what that division is like. And they've, there's some resignation in the system. The opportunity as the employer is to see the orientation process as a feedback loop about the system itself, because you're the container that the fish is swimming in. So, you know, the to want the feedback and there are probably some things that if you got strong feedback from the person, you could learn from and say, huh, I wonder we oh, we haven't thought about doing that. And there are going to be some things where they say, say, hey, why don't we do it this way? And you're like, no, we're not doing it that way. This is how we do it. And you've got reasons and principles by which and they might be trying to bring in their old culture to this new culture. And, you, and that's a in some ways a re-envisioning conversation about why we're not going to do it that old way. Either way, my point is the opportunity is uh, if you're the one that's holding the space, if you will, or managing the process or you're the leader there, like the wanting the feedback, getting them to talk about what's not working about the environment is really can be really helpful. The most organizations won't stop and ask themselves that question. Um, and I think they miss out on a lot of opportunities because of it. You know, it's funny you say that because if you reading exit interviews can really help you on your orientation because you can yeah. get yeah yeah you know what I mean uh, that's why they're I'm really so closely tied together yeah. yeah because it's my blind spots show up there yep yeah so yeah. I love I don't remember one of you talked about this idea of being new. And I wanted to talk about this for a second because it's one of my favorite things to observe is how long somebody holds a new hire, a new onboard, um, a new new team member. How long do they hold the story of being new? And Adrian, I think you even, I, I remember vaguely you telling me a story about one of your clients that, you know, you were asking them a question. Why didn't you do this? Or why did you do this? And they said, well, I'm new here. Uh-huh. And you say, well, great. How long are you committed to being new? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love, I love this observation and I love like the, we you know we create these stories for ourselves, whether it's to create a cushion, to make an excuse for why we're not showing up in a way that we know we could. Right. That's, that's, that's the whole 80% rule. I can, I can perform at 80% right now because I'm quote unquote new. Um, and, um, as we consider bringing on new hires, I think this is an important conversation to have as somebody comes in, what does it mean to be new here? How long are you new here? And what are we going to be like? What is this? What is this idea of new and what does it excuse and what does it not excuse? Yeah. What I wanted to point out, it was for that, for that story we were just talking about is how they were using new, like a costume. You know, like I'm, I'm a new person, you know, so it's like like the role I'm playing over here as the new person. Totally. There are, lots, there are lots of rights and privileges of when you're playing the role of the new person. Um, you know, because then you like get to not bring things up. You get to not challenge authority. You get to act all, you know, innocent, you know, when you don't get something done. And and like, there's like lots of privileges if you decide to play the role of being new. Um, like I would say, like it's traditionally played. Um, because part of being naturally, I think for most folks, naturally being new is being vulnerable, right? Like 
when you're when you're the the new person in any environment, most people there's some some bit of trepidation. There's some bit of do I fit in here? Who do I? How does this work? And some insecurities and all that kind of stuff. And we usually try to find an escape hatch, you know, a lifeboat, if you will, you know, to get me to to give me some safety when I don't when it's not going well. Mm-hmm. You know, but which you, that's how you get how most people see it and, and are that way. Um, instead, what you could do is to in, invite people to explore what are the what are the opportunities of being new versus the privileges. The opportunities of being new is like, really, you can get away with asking any question you want. <laughs> you are like, really, like, you don't know how it works. So you really can challenge anything you, you can want. Challenge it. Like, how does this work? I don't understand that. How come, how come that happened? How come that happened? <laughs> oh, is he always like that? You know, <laughs> most people won't, <laughs> but you know, those are, I mean, the, yeah. So, anyway, that's you know, the other thing, too, though, is it because of that context of new, everybody knows you're new, to act on the opportunities will actually create. I say creates credibility. Whereas if you're living in the privileges of it, sooner or later, people are going to start to get tired of that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're actually, you you know, to lead is to find those opportunities. And that, and that's really, you know, that's, that's, you know, to illuminate that, encourage people. These are things that, you know, I, when I've been onboarded a couple of times and the best onboarding I had was somebody, this gal I worked with, this woman, I, was reporting to, she's fantastic. Her name is Liza Ingrassi. And she, I'll never forget her. She, the onboarding was the most, it was so empowering. I knew exactly, I have a sense of what was possible and that I could go ask and find out what I needed. And she, I knew where to go. I had the sense of what I could do. And I was ready to go to work. I wasn't waiting around. I remember after I was done talking to her, I wanted to get on the phone, get on, do the things I needed to do in that position. Because I had a sense of where I was headed, what it would take, and what I could call on from the organization. And if I didn't know where I could find it, like there's a sense of it's possible. I, I don't know how to explain it, but she was so thorough and so straight. Like like I knew the boundaries and like she gave me a sense of some of the cultural, you know, taboos. Like mm, over here with this, you know, the, the CEO, he likes it this way. She would just give me some real good insiders and it really helped me. So orientation is really, I I think it's one that you could get really creative with, but it requires a real honesty. I think, Adrian, you hit it, of knowing where the cultural blind spots are and encouraging people to speak into them as well as know that they have to navigate them, you know, and their jobs to get the job done. That none of every organization has got its strengths and weaknesses, but none of them strengths or weaknesses can be a story for not having your what you're committed to turn out. Right. Yeah. I think the the undercurrent that I would that I come up against with but the whole new conversation is that what it usually means, I'm new is code for how long does it take for me to actually take action? Um, how do I say it? How, how long before that risky action doesn't require bravery? It's essentially, I think, the conversation underneath it. It, it does or doesn't? Well, yeah, that's why I don't think I said it that well. The point is, most of us are waiting for uh, people, I think, are waiting for to for bravery not to require risk. Oh, I see. Right. 
right? Because like I'm new is code for, uh, you know, I haven't been here long enough to say the thing or do the thing, which is code for, I don't feel good. <laughs> I don't want to have to, I don't want to stick my neck out yet. Mm-hmm. You know, but you know, anything that requires bravery doesn't necessarily get easier over time. It's just like, oh, I can master it. I'm willing to be brave. I'm yeah. willing to take a risk. I'm willing to put myself out there. I'm willing yeah. to look dumb. I'm willing to be wrong. I'm willing to fail, you know, and, you know, it's worth talking to folks about because, um, I mean, I'm on with some people where they're there. My clients are justifying a low level of performance under one of their employees. And I'll say, why don't you let this person go? And then, well, they've only been here three months. OK, how much do you want to pay? I mean, because okay, there's a pattern, right? So the, let's say the pattern doesn't stop. How much more? How much more money are you willing to waste? And how how much? How much more money you want to put in here to get convinced? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's you're hitting, Adrian. You're now hitting on exactly what I was talking about when, as as the higher as the person doing the hiring or the onboarding, yeah, getting very clear on what it means to be new in the company. Yeah how long you get to be new in the company and what kinds of things are we looking for and how, what resources are we providing for the new person to be able to get oriented in a, in a way that they can take action as quickly as possible. Yeah. Cause the other thing I see is it's, it's also code for, Oh, I don't have to be brave and take action because I don't know what action needs to be taken yet. Mm-hmm. And well, and, and the key so part of breaking that up is is really having clear goals. And then, you know, we often look at reviews. People talk about six month or annual reviews. Man, reviews are like every week. Like, where are we? How are you doing? What's up? Yeah. You know, how can I support you? What's wanted and needed? What's working? What's not working? What's missing and what's wanted and needed so that you can bring it about? And let's have those kinds of conversations so we can get we can start to resource the creativity and 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 all the different resources you have in the organization to come to bear against whatever problem you're trying to solve. Right. And to get that in early, that kind of cadence, like this is what it means to give an account. Yeah. And I want to give an account because it's part of my evolution as, as an executive or a leader is that the more I give an account, the sharper I get, the, the better I am at what I do, the more accomplished and fulfilled I feel. And I begin to move up in my career, whether it's in this organization or another. Yeah. And getting that connected, like that sharpening the saw with that kind of conversation. Right. And so much of the culture can be centered around relieving the tension of that. So it takes a, I mean, you know, I, I think about this. I boxed as a young kid for about four years. I hated it. And but I loved it. It was the, the it was the sport I hated to love or loved to hate. And I remember I hated getting hit. But in order to be good at it, you have to learn to get hit. Like how do you slip a punch and you how to use footwork and L steps and all these different things we had to do. Like in order not to get to, to like be able to parry and then deliver a punch. And if you couldn't, if you weren't willing to deal with that suffering or that discomfort you couldn't box well i think about that a lot of times there's certain things are uncomfortable in dealing with people i think we would all agree upon yeah we get awkward it's discomfort it, I, you know this person's it's their job might be at stake or they're you know they're feeling a lot of pressure they're taking it personally you're not you know it's not personal there's a lot of stuff going on yeah 
your willingness to live in that tension and, and learn to work in that tension and open up possibility and have something turn out, that's, that takes courage and that takes the willingness and, and that takes review, right? So like when we did the coaching academy, we'd have you in front of a camera and you could see yourself get feedback, you could give yourself feedback and you could go again. And every time people got up, if you remember Chad, they're better and better. Well, think of, I think of reviews like that. Like I think if I'm sitting down each week and I'm doing a check-in, that's like a review. So mm -hmm. people get a sense of, they're really clear about, are they clear and can they get clear about where they are in relationship to where they want to go? What's working about how they got there? What's not working? And, and, and what are they not? Like two things, our blind spots and our ego, right? What blind spots might be, can I have help? people help me see that I might not be seeing? And am I willing to be open enough to see that so I can forward what I want to do? I can learn. So pretty soon, I anticipate my failures as really opportunities. I mean that. But I don't want to use that like a cliche because you hear that all the time. Yeah. But if there's a good learning process, it really does look like, okay, what can we learn here? And this we're going to forward our commitment versus who's wrong, Whose fault is it, you know, getting the worst thing we can do is be right about why it didn't work. Because the minute you're right about why it didn't work, it's not going to work again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I there's an idea uh, that we talk about so much in our work and that I want to maybe we can start to wrap up the conversation on this idea. Um, and that is real time feedback and the value of real time feedback. I'm, I'm curious. I've, I've worked with leaders. Um, and I know that I've even fallen into this when I, when I have something that is eating at me about one of my team members or one of my clients has something that's eating at them about one of their team members. And I ask them, Hey, well, why haven't you talked to them about it yet? Oh, they've got the, we've got a performance review coming up in, in yeah. 20 minutes. In a month. Right. And you know, there's, there is a, there is an immense amount of value that I have found in my experience about the, the quicker we can offer the feedback, the more <laughs> I, I'm being careful with my language, but the, it seems that the quicker we can get back on track, the more progress we can make, the more we can uh, breathe into each other rather than me wasting 20 days holding something inside and, mm -hmm. and resenting the person on my team. Or what, what they're doing that's bothering me only for this idea of a performance review. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, it's more like I want to put it is short-term gain, long-term pain. Yeah. Right? Because look, in fact, why not why not intervene as soon as you can to make that review the best review you could possibly get? Let's get this guy to win. Yeah. Right. And the fact that they have a review coming up would be even more motivation for them to want to get something done or to face whatever issue is. You know, there's an old saying that and we use it a lot in our organization. You've heard it many times. You know, the thing you least want to do, do that first. Mm -hmm. And usually I don't want to do it because it's painful, but it's it's painful because I know that if I don't do it, what's coming on the other end of it, right? So getting to that place where you dig doing that and you get excited about what's possible is it's, it, it really can't happen, but you've got to get, there's some skills. 
like just like there are skills in avoiding, there's skills in going into the problem and understanding it, right? Because if you can be skillful about avoiding it, just think about how skillful you could be about revealing the possibility in it. If you have the right A way of thinking, mindset, and then B some ways to engage it so you could find the possibilities. And that's what that's part of what, what we do. But really, if you think about it, orienting people is setting that kind of relationship up. That's what we're talking about is how are we going to be together in failure? Yeah. I mean, a couple of things come up for me with this. Um, ways to get in the conversation. I think in these informal convos that we're talking about, like real-time feedback, people typically ask a question like, hey, how's it going? Um, which I think usually sets up the person usually to avoid, especially if they're new. Because yeah. they know you don't want their problems. And instead, I mean, you might say something like, you seem frustrated. That's going to get much more close. Like they're going to respond to that. Oh, I'm not. Well, hold on. Let's. What's frustrating you? Like you can. Like you can. My son does this. Like <laughs> does this to me. Like, Dad, what's wrong? And I don't realize I'm. I've hey. got some kind of scowl on my face. Yeah. He asked me what's wrong, and I'm like shaken. I have that experience. I'm. I'm. I'm now connected to what I was thinking about that I thought was invisible, but it was being shown <laughs> on my face. And my six-year-old is giving me feedback. It's what I think of you, son. <laughs> You're already a failure, son. I, no, but it's good to kind of, it's good to think about how to label, label that just to let them know, hey, we're going to talk about these things. I mean, I was, I was thinking earlier, you know, letting people know, hey, there are going to be things that are frustrating here. There are going to be things that don't make sense to you. They're going to be people that are troublesome for you to deal with. We're going to talk about those on a regular basis, not because you're going to solve it for them, but you need to make sure they're in a process of reorienting themselves to how to have the type of relationship with those obstacles so that they aren't obstacles anymore. They're just known. They're known quantities. I would they're say part of the terrain, part of the train, you know, but the getting people to talk about the challenges in a way that's resourceful is the point because you might say, Hey, so what, you know, what are the, what were the challenges this week? That question is a lot better than how is it going, by the way? Um, how, what are the challenges this week? What'd you come up against? And listening to how people are orienting themselves to the challenges, uh, anything you need to do differently next week. And my point in mentioning this is that I think some people don't ask the questions because they don't want someone to give them the responsibility of solving the issues. Yeah. That's but right. you can ask the questions and then orient the conversation to where, Hey, since they're their challenges, there's also their solutions. They must generate the solutions, you know, from this, this the solutions must come from the same environment that the challenges come from. And if they're looking for you to solve it, then that's an excellent opportunity to make sure they understand that the answers in them Right, like you can help them, but they've got to go do it, right? So yeah, that's when you want to get you can get clear. That's an orientation process right there. It's like it's in your lap. I get it. I'm with you. How can I support you? You know, yeah. let's talk about it. You know, and you know, really, we get in this later, but but we talk about there's only two breakdowns, right? It's either going to be a competency breakdown or it's going to be an attitude breakdown. And usually, when people are short on resource, it has nothing to do with competency. It's usually connected to attitude. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and so getting people oriented to those kinds of things is 
pretty that what's it that's what I, I find enables me to leave the company know if I'm away it's being taken care of because people are in that kind of thinking yeah they're oriented so anyway that was fun <laughs> Off. Yeah. Adrian, I was just taking notes on what I love that question of what was what was challenging this week. Yeah. You know, and, and I'm I'm ruminating on that because I've tried to create some resources. I, I work a lot with creative business owners and you know they make up that they're too busy and they're already uh, there's already too many challenges. And so what I see in this is an opportunity for connection. Um like real connection with your people. Yeah. And, um, you know, I can see also I can hear the excuses in my mind as well that they come up with. Well, I can't ask that because I can't have more challenges on my plate and I don't want them to think that we're just a company of challenges. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, it's important to also you know, illuminate wins right in the same like same conversation. That's why I usually start about what worked, because. There's something in what worked that might be able to be drawn over to what's not working, right? And, and right. that might show up. And so, and it's good for people to get that clear that they're making progress, right? I always say, you know, don't compete with anybody else, compete with where you were yesterday and get yourself to your goal, right? And then that way we can work together rather than if you get a, you get a lot of competition going on the team, people hide resources, et cetera, because now they're playing, they can easily get caught up in, in beating the other person rather than, the other team member rather than getting the, the whole job done. Right. Yeah. So that's, it's a point. It's fun to have some competition, but it's also smart to watch where and how it's what it's attached to and how it's how it is it keeping people's view, vision on you know on the biggest possibility and what you're shooting at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because well, at, at the end of the day, last last thought here maybe Chad is yeah, like go ahead. At the end of the day, I mean, we we've illuminated it a handful of times here, or put a pin in it. But you know, what if the person is competent? That's great. Um, in the orientation process, you're craft helping them craft their mindset, yeah. and that mindset will go out and re and retain competency because the challenges that are coming are worse than what's here now. Uh, there, all that means is they will require new levels of competency, but that if you have a beginner's mind or a learner's mind or whatever you want to call it, someone that's open and curious and wants to solve all the issues they come up against, that's a, that's, that, that's the type of mindset you want the person to have. And in the orientation in the first few months is where you're crafting that it's really, um, and you're probably going to need to, to uncraft some things because they're going to bring their history or bring their natural tendencies and bring their default settings to the table. Perfect. When it's brand new to talk about, the types of attitudes that don't work here or just with me. Hey, if you're going to work with me, you know, um, sending emails doesn't work. I'd rather have it straightforward. Get hit, hit me, hit me straight up. Or, you know, if there's somebody that likes it more diplomatic, Hey, why don't you slow down? Why don't you give me some context before you hit me with the, the jab, you know, whatever for every single person's got their own thing. But, you know, in this first orientation process, you're helping that person craft the mindset that's going to work and make this marriage work, quote unquote, if you, if you will. So um, but it's going to be in their lap to want to get it um, and then want to keep it. You know, so that's the, the point, I think, of viewing the uh, seeing the orientation as an opportunity, not just a bunch of HR boxes to check. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think. If I get philosophical here, just 
Do it's it. really orientation has a lot to do with the conversational nature of reality. Like how are you viewing what you're doing? What reality is the way you're viewing what you're doing, either calling you into it resourcefully or producing resistance, right? And so that's part of, as a, as a leader, I'm not only clear about the outcomes, but I'm clear about the mindset that it takes to actually open up the possibilities that can bring those about, right? And that's, that's an ongoing iterative kind of uh, process with people. That's why I think it's important that people keep communication loops tight, you know, that we're, if I'm managing somebody or working with them and I'm a resource to them, I want to stay close to them so I can make, you know, support them. They know that I'm there if they need me, right? That kind of thing. Yeah. Without giving away names and companies and such, which makes me think just as an example, makes me think of a client that I coached for years and she was a middle management person at a, at a big company. And she was great. She came in. I'd known her before. I'd met her briefly before she moved into this company. And as a part of her opening to the new company, for starting at the new company, she said, hey, I want to work with this coach guy. And for some reason, they said yes. Um, And we did some work together. And they were so open to her. And she wasn't a senior leader leader in the company. Um, Still isn't to this day. Senior, senior leader, not a VP. She's on her way up, though. On her way up. But here's what's been the difference is like that her, her work and her willingness to actually be. She's probably the most open, generative. Let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Let's see who's not talking, who needs to be talking like she gets. She's bothered by the silos and they fueled her and let her be that bothered and then gave her opportunities to go make inroads and build bridges. And she's actually built bridges inside the organization where they were sure no bridges could be built. Hmm. And my point here is like that every new person you hire is an opportunity to change the broader culture. Like, you know, so if, if you bring somebody new in and there are things about your culture that aren't working, a new person, if managed well, is there, am I making weird noise on your end? Yes. <laughs> all of a sudden it said, that's all. You don't get to talk anymore. We've been infiltrated. Okay, fine. It's the Russian. <laughs> I think it's the Chinese. All right. Anyway. Just, it, it, we'll, we'll power through. Just finish the point. My point is like that new people can be new beginnings for the entire culture if you want it to be. Like you can utilize a new person and orient them well, and they'll actually – you can make the internal changes when you orient someone well and utilize their newness as an example for the culture itself. That's my point. You know, I was thinking about if I nutshell this conversation, there are three things I look to orient people to when I, you know, you can just generally, if you get these in, it's probably going to go well. And the first ones make, they understand that it's all about long term, excellent performance. Like it's about your personal evolution and the organization's evolution. The second thing is, you know, I really, as much as possible, I'm working with them to become Mm self-correcting and so that they can catch themselves. They don't need, you know, they can catch themselves early. And the third thing is I want them to be self-generative. Like they start to, like you talked about being generative, generating the the next possibility in whatever they're doing, holding in to some of the problems that are most uncomfortable and finding that way through and and resourcing it, right? So those three things, man, long-term, performance, excellent performance, self-correction, self-generation. 
if I can get those three things and I can keep following through on that, I, I can I can move the ball down the field each each uh, week like that with my team. You're, you're building momentum. It's like that hedgehog principle, right? So that uh, Collins writes about. You, take, you kind of set something off of me when you said that. I was like, yeah, that's right. Gener generative. She is generative too, boy. That's amazing. That's clear. I love that. Love that nutshell, Dan. Those three. Those three goals. All right, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Thank you. Good conversation. Bye, bye, everybody. Well, friends of the podcast, thank you so much for joining us this week. If this podcast has helped you or entertained you at all, we encourage you to go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. That'll help us reach more people and grow this community. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the people in your life that are looking for a new way to lead and to relate to others. And finally, if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad at takenewground.com. Thank you so much for joining us and we'll meet you back here next week for another episode of the Naked Leadership Podcast.